With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Two interesting topics today. Uh, Of course, we acknowledge the retirement of George Perez, the comic master, the man responsible for the new Teen Titans, along with Marv Wolfman. Countless DC events over the years, great projects with Marvel as well. Well, he just announced a few days ago that he is uh, stepping down from active work in comics. He will still be on the convention circuit. And uh, I wanted to represent a conversation I had with George back in 2009 at the Chicago Comic-Con. I think you're going to enjoy it. That's part one of our conversation on Word Balloon today. Then we turn our heads to Brad Meltzer. Brad is back with a brand new uh, historical book. It's called The First Conspiracy, and it's all about the plot to get rid of uh, George Washington during the revolutionary years. It's an amazing story. It talks about the beginnings of uh, the American intelligence community as well. And uh, I was very happy to have this conversation with Brad about the book and uh, the secret plot to kill George Washington. Pretty amazing stuff in the first conspiracy. So it's uh, George Perez and Brad Meltzer on today's Word Balloon. Word Balloon is brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your support. Still in the hospital, still recovering from that nasty infection that I got right before Christmas. It's going to take a year to heal up, which is pretty insane. But uh, doing what I can to handle things on uh, this end, and I uh, thank you for continuing your support for Word Balloon. Uh, It's not necessary. Word Balloon is free. It'll always be free. But uh, if you can help out, Word Balloon, I think, is a very unique uh, product and uh, is uh, dependent more than ever on the League of Word Balloon listeners for its support. Um, Thank you very much. If you'd like to subscribe to Word Balloon, do you think what I do here is worth the price of a comic book each month? Do you think it's worth a dollar a month even? If you do, you can go to patreon.com slash wordballoon and subscribe that way. Or to get to the Patreon portal, you can click on the Patreon ad on the front page of wordballoon.com. Again, thank you very much, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by Aftershock Comics, who are blazing new trails in 2019 at AftershockComics.com and at your local comic store. You've seen their books on the racks. Great stuff, impressive art, wonderful writers, people you know, people you trust when it comes to good storytelling, like Garth Ennis and Marguerite Bennett and Donnie Cates and Paul Aller and Adam Glass. Uh, just a few of the names that are uh, big uh, highlights over at Aftershock Comics. Our buddy Frank Thierry is over there. New projects on the way in 2019 from good friends like Tim Seeley and Phil Hester. Paul Jenkins certainly making his mark at Aftershock Comics as well. These are great books. They're fresh concepts. There is no burden of 75-plus years of continuity that you have to worry about. Anybody can die in an Aftershock Comics story. And it's happened many of times, and it might happen again. But uh, the fate of uh, the uh, various universes of Aftershock are in the writer's hands, and hopefully they'll be in your hands real soon as well. You can uh, check books out, uh, find your favorite writers and artists, and you'll find preview pages, full story descriptions, and the way to order books through your local comic shop via the diamond codes. It's all waiting for you at AftershockComics.com. We got pretty sad news this weekend that uh, the legendary comic book artist George Perez is uh, retiring from day-to-day work. Uh, He made an official statement. He says, in recent months, there have been a great deal of speculation as to the future of my career, my health, my ability to draw, and my future convention appearances. As a result, I would like to clear up everything firsthand so that hopefully any rumor, speculation, or misinformation can be laid to rest. With respect to future published work in comics and such, while I know it's no secret that I've been dealing with a myriad number of health issues, things like diabetes, heart ailments, vision issues, etc., they've forced him to, for all intents and purposes, formally retire from the business of creating new comic stories. He went on to say that uh, due to the strain on his eyes, private commissions will cease as well, with the exceptions of a small amount of sketches prearranged at conventions, though eventually they may not be a commitment for much longer. He said 2019 will be his last year touring the convention circuit as well. 
And as we all know, that's that's incredibly sad news. Georgia's been in a very important part of the comic in- industry for decades. I remember his uh, earlier work on uh, things like the White Tiger and the hand in the uh, Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, the Marvel Black and White magazine. George will be turning 64 this year, and uh, when you consider his career, it's uh, certainly amazing. Uh, doing uh, great things in Marvel starting in August of 1974 with Astonishing Tales. And uh, he became a uh, regular uh, Marvel uh, artist, uh, penciling Sons of the Tiger. And as I mentioned, the aforementioned uh, White Tiger stories as well uh, in uh, Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. Uh, But then uh, he, of course, had his amazing run on the Avengers. uh, And that started with uh, issue uh, 41. And, uh, man, you think about some of the great things that he drew. Uh, he drew the first part of the Corvax saga with Jim Shooter. Um, you know, tons of amazing stories. He created the Taskmaster with Dave Michelini. And, uh, but his big break, and I shouldn't say break, but his big uh, game-shifting move came in 1980 when he started working for DC Comics and uh, had the chance with Marv Wolfman to revamp the Teen Titans. Massive game-changer. Huge thing for DC Comics and uh, you know it was uh, he was off to the races after that Um, he also uh, did amazing things uh, on uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths his amazing run on Wonder Woman that started in 1987 and uh, also in various times great contributions to Superman uh, as recently as uh, part of the New 52 now he didn't last on the New 52 and that's a shame because I like the way uh, things started with his run on Superman but uh, he also did uh, things like War of the Gods and uh, the Infinity Gauntlet. Uh, he was the initial uh, artist on Infinity Gauntlet. Um, there are things like uh, Future Imperfect, uh, the great uh, Hulk future story where we met the maestro. Um, you know, lots of great uh, challenges over the years. And even at CrossGen, he had that pirate book, uh, The Crimson Plague. So uh, anyway, uh, it's really sad to see uh, George retire. But uh, I only had one conversation with George, and this was back in 2009 at the Chicago Comic-Con. And uh, I'll tell you, it's jam-packed with information for as brief as a conversation as it was, but he was in good spirits. We reflected on his career. We talked about some of the current things he had been doing at the time. He was getting ready uh, to finish Games, the Teen Titan graphic novel. That was one of those pie-in-the-sky projects that uh, we weren't sure if it would ever be finished. But thankfully, uh, back in 2010, I believe, uh, they finally released games uh, written by Marv Wolfman, drawn by Perez. Full description in this conversation. Uh, JLA versus Avengers. I remember when he drew a couple uh, jam pieces of big uh, multi-heroes kind of fighting each other from the Justice League and the Avengers. Uh, that looked like it was something that was never going to happen and the companies would never agree to. Thank God they did. Kurt Busiek wrote it. And George drew it, and it was another instant classic. Um, he's going to be missed. His his work on uh, big events were always amazing. He excelled at drawing multiple characters. And uh, part of our conversation, too, uh, he was doing The Legion of Three Worlds with Jeff Johns, which uh, focused on various iterations of the Legion uh, in various decades. So you saw them in the five years later period uh, that Keith Giffen had ra- written. You also saw them in their classic Silver Age mode. And uh, I want to say uh, Legionnaires was the uh, the final uh, version as well. But we talk about that in detail. This is from August of 2009, back at the Chicago Comic-Con. A brief but very detailed-filled conversation with the great George Perez on Word Balloon. John Sutcher's back at Chicago Comic-Con, and I've seen him before at other conventions, but I really think this is my first opportunity to actually interview George Perez. It's a ah, pleasure to see you, sir. Thank you. Always a pleasure to meet you, sir. Paparazzi. <laughs> I, uh, congratulations on Legion of Three Worlds. I think uh, the book turned out great. It was a beautiful-looking book. Jeff told a great story, as did you. I mean, it was very fun thank to see you. that. I'm very grateful that it was so well-received, and I'm also very grateful to actually talk about it in the past tense. <laughs> Was it the designs of some of the new characters? Was that fun? Because you would always said you wanted to do the Legion, and some of these characters have different looks then oh, back in the day. And uh, trying to find a consensus of their uh, what they should look like, like and the, like the five years later storyline that Keith Giffen did. Obviously, I don't draw like Keith Giffen, so I, the only thing I could use was the costume. I couldn't draw them stylistically like that because you know Cosmic Boy should look like Cosmic Boy uh, through the ages. He shouldn't suddenly have a different face. So that was a challenge of trying to you know capture some of those eras where 
the style defined it as opposed to just costume. But it was, you know, it was a great challenge. Lord knows the references were piling up. And also the nuance of three different versions of the same character and have that line of them being parallel versions of each other and yet being distinct in costume design. Well, also, and in that case, I was able to do this, a bit of distinction on the faces as well because unlike in the movies where the, the gimmick is that the characters are all played by the same actor and you do special effects, in the comics, you're trying to uh, capture stylistically what made the three different eras different. So my cosmic boy from the three different eras would look different from each other. The same thing with uh, Lightning Lass or Light Lass, uh, Lightning Lad or uh, Live Wire with whoever the character was. But I did try to make them look like they might be related to each other, but not the same character. Okay. Uh, I understand talking to you last night that uh, everyone's excited to hear that finally uh, games, uh, the uh, the Titans long-awaited uh, original graphic novel. Am I saying it wrong? What no, is no, it? you're correct. No, okay. I'm, I'm just wondering how many people are actually excited considering I think they're keeping it close to the vest. <laughs> but I got, no, that, that, that's my next project, uh, to finally finish the, the uh, games, the Titans graphic novel that Mark Wolfman and I had been working on uh, more than a decade and a half ago. Um, because uh, 2010 is the 30th anniversary of the debut of the new Teen Titans that Marvin and I co-created. So now this is an actual reason to finish that book, as opposed to just being a wallow in nostalgia. That it actually has a marketability that has been based on, uh, as, as heretofore unpublished uh, original Teen Titans story done by the original creators. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, will it will it be then a, a flashback or an untold story? It'll be an untold story. There'll be no framing sequence to put it into modern perspective. It'll just be a, a story that's never been told, dealing with the uh, the characters at the time. So obviously Jericho would be alive again, or, or at least previously alive as he was first. Raven would have an original body. Danny Chase was a member there. And of course, they're all uh, wearing costumes that were uh, around the 1980s vintage. Yeah. And then, you know, you and Marv really, and I'm not being nice saying this, uh, really picked DC up and, and put DC back on the map in a very distinct way with new Teen Titans. Well, I think it's been acknowledged that, that the Teen Titans pretty much saved DC Comics. Uh, and there's nothing else that's given me a permanent cachet there. I guess that's why I'm always going to be working. Because... Um, uh, a, I still love doing what I do. I try to, you know, try to refine my work uh, with every new book I do. Um, but you know, the fact that DC is where I've had my greatest hit. I mean, I've had successful runs at Marvel, but when it comes to things that have had a certain permanence uh, to it and an actual impact on a company worldwide, I mean, we had um, the Teen Titans. My Wonder Woman uh, is the current Wonder Woman out there. Uh, the history of the DC universe, crisis on Infinite Earth. There was no such term as. Uh, pre- and post-crisis until that series came along, and that all these major events that have been uh, brought up in the last uh, decade has obviously spun off the original Titans on Infinite Earth, excuse me, Crisis on Infinite Earth. So, like, yes, uh, and DC treats me very nicely, and I've had a great run at Marvel, too. Sure. Uh, but right now, it looks like I'm a DC boy for the foreseeable future. <laughs> uh, it seemed like in Final Crisis there was one scene, Final Crisis, which I know you didn't draw, but there seemed to be one scene that evoked a moment in history of the DC universe where we see that hand kind of create the universe, or, or the mm-hmm, world. Mm-hmm. And it seems like Grant kind of brought that scene back in Final Crisis of Superman kind of putting his hand out there and, and you know, at the beginning of time. And I almost wonder if there was, if he had told you that that was kind of a nod to what you guys did. Oh, no, they, I mean, I, 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 very I'm, I'm well aware of how many nods I get. <laughs> uh, I've been in, this, in the industry long enough and I've done major work for uh, the comics that now I, I become a touchstone that they can refer to. The same way I would uh, refer to um, certain works by certain artists that I grew up with, uh, uh, after 35 years, I've become that artist that other people are now looking back to, particularly since uh, so many of these series were uh, monumental in uh, scope and had lasting impact. 35 years ago, going back to even uh, The White Tiger, which is how I discovered you back mm-hmm. in, the, in the black and white Masters of Kung Fu days. Yes, stuff. I finally got to sign a couple of Masters of Kung Fu, including my very first one at this convention. Those are hard to find. Excellent. Well, I've got one. I should have brought it up. Ah. But it's a pleasure to see you and continued success. It's really great to see you uh, back and active and, and really looking forward to games, much like uh, JLA Avengers, which we saw those you know pages that you never got to do in so many fan magazines for years. To a degree, we saw a few images of games. Looking forward to seeing this new uh, graphic novel. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to 
closing yet another door. You know, I'm getting a feeling of closure now. So, okay, that's one of the last of the non-completed projects that I can finally get back to. What are what are the new? Are you able to? Talk I, about? No, I can't. I, okay. They had they have offered me work, but I told them that I can only really do one project at a time. So okay. that next project I won't even get started until January of next year. Fair enough. Well, okay. When the time comes to the announcements, today, we'll probably book oh, you again. One thing I am doing, I'm, uh, I'm doing covers, uh, a couple of covers for Wildstorm, which is the first time I've ever done any work oh, for Wildstorm. Wow. There's, there's a crossover, I believe, with the Authority and Wildcats, and I'm doing covers for that. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so new characters. I love it. Fantastic. And more uh, new uh, characters for George Wrestling to get his fingers on. Yeah. So I'll be excited about it. Thank you very much. Thank you. From August of 2009, George Perez on Word Balloon. Uh, I'm really sorry that that was my only conversation with George. Uh, I can't go into detail, but will tell you that there was a planned 2019 conversation with George that, uh, unfortunately, due to my health concerns, I won't be able to participate. I have a feeling that George will still be able to make the commitment, and I'll leave it at that because it involves a convention, and I'll let the convention uh, announce uh, where it's going to be and uh, where uh, that uh, one of the last chances to see George at a, at a convention will happen this year. There, I'm sure for years to come, will be retrospectives and looks back at George's art. I am certain uh, that his art will stay in print and continue to be reprinted because he's one of the classic creators uh, who, again, saved the Teen Titans, saved DC Comics. No hyperbole there. And in fact, you heard him say it to himself in that conversation. Um, George Perez will be missed, but thankfully uh, his work will uh, continue to survive and be acknowledged as among some of the greatest artwork in comics ever. All right, let's switch gears and uh, have a fun conversation with our good buddy Brad Meltzer. Very excited for Brad, The First Conspiracy, a new uh, book that uh, Brad has written. Uh, more true history from Brad and a, and a story that he uncovered about a plot to kill George Washington during the Revolution. Uh, the book says a lot about the man who became our first president. It's uh, you know a great story that I don't think a lot of people knew about. And uh, it's wonderful to see Brad uncover it and uh, give us signs of George Washington. A lot of us never knew. It reads amazingly well. Uh, it's available now uh, everywhere. Border, or borders. I was going to say borders. Not borders anymore. They're closer. Uh, but uh, Barnes & Noble and, of course, um, Amazon and uh, your, uh, tons of independent bookstores. Unfortunately, I missed uh, Brad. He was in Chicago. We... We talk about the possibility here because this was recorded a few weeks ago that maybe I'd, I'd be able to see him at uh, one of his signings. It didn't happen, and I'm bummed about that. He's a good friend, and I miss him, and I love talking to him. And as always, he's got a ton to say. When we recorded this conversation, it was cl a little closer to our, our loss of George Bush, uh, the George Bush 41, George H.W. Bush. Um, and Brad was a very close friend of uh, George and Barbara's. And they were huge fans of his work. Um, it became a very interesting friendship that I was always happy to uh, get great anecdotes from Brad about his relationship with the Bush family. And we get more of that here. He also did a great three-hour interview on C-SPAN where he took calls. Every uh, first Sunday of the month, they do uh, their in-depth show where they invite an author on to take calls, and they just discuss the, uh, the author's works for three full hours. There was a lot of com comic book conversation in that talk, and certainly his novels, his great children's books. He's in the midst of not only uh, still cranking out more I Am books. Uh, I Am Neil Armstrong was a recent uh, great book that he worked on. We talk a little bit about that. What we don't get into much on is uh, the word that uh, PBS is in the midst of producing a new animated series for children based on the drawings of Chris Iliopoulos's I Am contributions to his and Brad's books. And, of course, Brad is uh, highly involved. They both are as active producers. And the good news is, as much as we don't talk about it with Brad, in the next few days I will be releasing a conversation with Chris Iliopoulos, and we'll get more into the nitty-gritty of the PBS show. But regardless, for now, enjoy this fun conversation with my good friend Brad Meltzer, now on Word Balloon. Welcome back, Brad Meltzer, to Word Balloon. I uh, I know it's been a busy and and tough couple weeks for you because we've had. I know you had a personal loss in uh, your good friend uh, George H. W. Bush, and uh, and you know I, I I really felt for you with that passing, man. So I appreciate you coming back and talking today. No, listen, we had in the past couple of weeks, uh, you know, Stan Lee, we had yeah President Bush. You had people who just make you look around at your own 
I know we're supposed to say mortality, but I found it to be like our morality, right? I felt like both those deaths just, they somehow completely contrast with where the world is today and reminded us where we came from and what we need to get to. Um, and I think Stanley and Bush, you know, it's easy to say, oh, these are old guys and it's in this simpler time, but, but they weren't. It was more than that. It was, it was about decency. It was about tolerance. It was about um, these words that almost, you know, seem like they don't exist in, in the world we live in today. I hear you, man. No, absolutely. And I know, uh, too, uh, I saw you post last night as we're recording your obit, your obit for Stan at Entertainment Weekly. And, yeah, well said. And, I, you know, you're calling back the, the words of Stan even back in the 60s about intolerance and, you know, to be a better person. And it, it flies in contrast to some of the people that just didn't understand Stan's passing in particular and uh, we don't even have to go down that road other than to say, well, that's their problem. And thankfully, there were thousands more to step up and, and, and point out the great things that Stan did beyond promoting his comics and, you know, putting himself in cameos and movies and the like. No, listen, I mean, that was that was Stanley's great superpower is he found a way to not just, you know, it's a, listen, there's nothing wrong with entertaining people. Sure. We're in the entertainment business. <laughs> that's what we do as writers. But you hope, especially in comics, at least for me. Um, that you, I don't want to, I don't want to, it sounds too grandiose, but you want to, uh, you're, you're, maybe it's your most narcissistic or maybe it's just, you know, your most bombastic and all those things apply to Stan Lee, you know, may rest in peace, but is you just want to feel like you have a good influence on the world. And, uh, you know, what I wrote about, like I was obviously honored entertainment weekly asked me to do it. Um, and I, I didn't change much from what I originally wrote about him, which was, you know, if you look at those old Stan soapboxes, the bullpen bulletins, um, is they were they were about racism, you know, yeah, saying yeah. like racism and intolerance can you know shouldn't exist, and you know and and they even real they said you know you have one black person you don't like you hate all black men you have one immigrant you don't like you hate all immigrants. Um, he was saying this back in 1965. Yep, and we're still in the same place we are today. But I always will appreciate that Stan Lee. The reason why is you know we all love to kind of like look at at whether it's you know, Fantastic Four or the X-Men or, you know, or Black Panther, or of course, Spider-Man and all the obvious ones. But to me, what his biggest value that he gave to us was, is he gave us these values to live by. He gave us these, these parts of our personality that really became these pillars of strength, things we call upon, things we, we act toward, even if we don't always do ourselves, but we, we, I, you know, not just idealize, but we hopefully internalize. And for me, uh, what I loved about him is they were just about being good, not yeah. because it helps you and not because it was, you know, but it, because good is being good for goodness's sake is a good thing. And, and God, have we lost sight of that? Um, and no politician or corporation or, um, you know, or advertisement, you know, any of those things advocate for that anymore. Good for the sake of good. Um, you know, it has to be like we're fighting for power, we're fighting for money, and, and as I wrote in there, if you're if that's your fight, you've already lost. I hear you, man. So, and, and, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. Stanley, George Bush, both of them, um, you know, stood for for not just that simpler time, but but values we need to we we need to stop getting away from. Agreed, man. And uh, yeah, and and get back to uh, not only tolerance but accepting us for our differences and. Being able to get along and yeah, all of that and and truly, I mean. And by the way, you you're know. the only person I could tell my real Stanley Strina. So Stan, <laughs> over the years, I got to meet him a couple of times. I but, was going to ask. Go um, on. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but but what was great is when I was researching my book about um, about the creation of Superman. Everyone at DC, even Levitt, Paul Levitt, told me like you got to talk to Stan. And I was like, what are you talking about? He was Marvel, but. He knew Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. He knew those guys. They came up together. And, you know, my first interaction with him, uh, he had reached out to me at some point for something else, but um, is getting him on the phone and having him just tell me what they were like. Um, and, and I haven't even pulled out my old notes from them because I think I was just so starstruck. <laughs> but, man, that was kindness that, you know, to have, me, have him walk me through uh, the history of, of really – the creators that made the best of us or that made Superman himself. Well, and also to have that perspective. And I, and that's, it was great. The couple times I got to talk to guys like Joe Kubert uh, and, and those guys that were there and can tell you the real story, because it really is. That's as, as documented as things have been 
since the 90s, and every moment is captured and, and everything. I, I really think it's that two-thirds of the, you know, the 20th century where there are misconceptions and people's memory may be failing and stuff. So you really do want those people that knew those beginning oh, people learned, and what they were I, like. I learned that for sure. I learned that uh, when I did an event with Jerry Robinson. I bet. And, we yeah. did an event, and, and Jerry leaned over to me and started telling me all the Bill Finger stories. Bill Finger's granddaughter, Athena, that was like one of her first public places where she came out and said, you know, my grandfather got screwed over. He helped create Batman. And I yeah. sat with Jerry Robinson on stage and backstage with him telling me the real story of Bill Finger. It's why I spent so much energy and time working to, you know, get Bill Finger credit. It's why I, I you know, I literally put him in his first comic recognition when I did action, when I did Detective Comics, um, we did the anniversary of Detective Comics 27. Uh-huh. I snuck into the credit box created by Bob Finger and Bill Kane, uh, Bob Kane and Bill Finger. And I put it in there and, and to DC's credit, they didn't take it out. And it was my, always my way of just saying, listen, no, we all know what happened here, but I wouldn't have had it if I didn't spend time talking to Jerry Robinson. Totally hear you, man. Yeah. He was an amazing guy for people who don't recognize the ra- name right away. Created the Joker, one of the principal artists very early on in Bob Kane's studio, with Shelley Moldoff and, and, and Bill doing the writing and stuff. And, yeah, no, and, a, and a really an important guy right till the end, helping set the record straight for all those DC archives and everything and, oh, and yeah. you know, being an important part of that. No, fast, I'm kicking myself. I saw him at one of his last San Diego's, and I was, you know, low money and, like, riding on fumes and eating at Subway and stuff to get through the day, and I didn't have the $100 to get a Batman sketch from him. And it's like, oh, oh yeah, you know, uh, yeah, my, my great comic regret um, is I was supposed to do an event. They asked me to do an event with Will Eisner here in Florida and he lived here and I, and, yeah. and I, I don't even, I don't even know what I had, but I just said, you know what? I can't do it. I'm busy. I'll, we'll do it. We'll do it again another day. And then he died right after. Oh, and man. I just always kicked myself that I couldn't do that event. That was the one that got away. I I, I did get to meet Eisner. It was years before I did the Word Balloon podcast. He came to the University of Chicago, and they had a Humanities Festival weekend, and Neil Gaiman interviewed Eisner. And it was great because it was a total university setting, like a big lecture hall. He, they do their talk, and afterwards they're hanging out in the lobby, and anyone could just walk up and talk to both of them. And it was just such yeah, a great opportunity. Yeah, that's what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to do this big library event for him, and uh, needless to say, crap. No, I hear you, man. Totally. Jesus. Well, and this is good because we're talking comics, but I also want to talk to you about the first conspiracy, the plot to kill George Washington. I am absolutely intrigued. I love both the Revolutionary War period and that post-revolutionary before 1800, really Washington's presidency period, because that uh, one of my best classes in college was a, a history class about that period. And we had this amazing professor who... I mean, I knew about Hamilton and all the all the dirt and everything between him and Aaron Burr, you know, 30 years ago taking this class. And he treated it like a soap opera. And it obviously is. And I'm sure di- di- digging into this story, you found out the same things. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you know, the reality was is I found this story almost a decade ago. I was going through the place where all the best things are found, which are the footnotes. <laughs> and I saw I, I was like this absurd pure tiny reference and i i can't even tell you what i was reading but it mentioned this plot to kill george washington and i remember at the time thinking like is this real is it bullshit is this some internet nonsense yeah and i i actually like wound up using it in, in one of my thrillers uh i think it was in the fifth assassin you'll see it for like a paragraph it just mentions this you know plot to kill because it was a book about assassinating president it, it was told the story um, and you get this this split second about it. I, actually, I think it was President Shadow is what it was in. You get this split second about it, but it was, again, in the work of fiction, and that was all it was. But I couldn't shake the story. And years go by, and I would just, whenever I'd have free time, I'd always kind of like wind up Googling it and looking it up. And I realized, I eventually figured out, I got to tell this story. And one of the people that I went to, one of the great... Um, Chroniclers of George Washington, Pulitzer Prize winning author Joseph Ellis. 
And I go to Ellis and I'm like, listen, do you know this story? It's a story where supposedly George Washington, they tried to kill him during the Revolutionary War. And he said, I know the story. He said, now, there's obviously all these details missing about it. No one really is. No modern book has been written about it. Everything we've written about, no one's written about this thing. And he said to me, what you're looking for is a mystery, though. He's like, because by its nature, this is a story that involved George Washington spies. And he said, you, you can find out and track down exactly how many slaves George Washington had. He said, but you'll never find how many spies he had. So what you're looking for is always going to be kind of unreachable. It's always going to be this, this, it's like grabbing a smoke. Sure. And he said, but if you try it, he said, if you try it, though, you may get a book. And if not, you're at least going to get an adventure. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. Well, let's try. (laughs) And man, John, the friggin' story is true. Wow. And George Washington, this is literally the height of the Revolutionary War, uh, finds out that his own men are plotting against him, along with the governor of New York and the mayor of New York. Jesus. And when he finds out about it, he gathers up those responsible. He takes one of the lead people who's responsible, one of his own men. He builds a gallows, and he hangs the guy, 50,000 people, the largest public <laughs> execution in North American history, George Washington brings the hammer down. He's like, do not mess with me. I'm going to be on the money one day. My name is George Washington. Um, right. And, and, and I, and the story is incredible, right? It's just an yes. incredible story, but it's lost to history and it's lost because it happens. The hanging happens on June 28th, 1776. Jesus. It's basically wow. a, a week, a week later, we're signing the Declaration of Independence. The British are literally coming at that moment, um, and and that's why it gets lost. And it's also a time where George Washington does not want to, you know, you want to portray strength. You don't want to say, hey, all my men just turned against me. So it just gets lost to history, and and we just dug it apart, and we were able to find my friend Josh mentioned I, who is executive uh, producer on Lost History on our TV show, and those who people who like Decoded, we just were like, let's see if we can do an episode of Decoded, but as a book. And we were able to find the actual secret trial transcripts from when they tried the guys. It was incredible. And uh, and so it's literally called The First Conspiracy, because that's what it was. Country's born, and, and there it was. The First Conspiracy happens. Well, you've been exposing some amazing uh, historical uh, misreads. And I, it's funny, literally this week, a good friend of mine who writes for the news side of the, the Wall Street Journal, Cam McWhorter, he was in town. And I was telling him that I was going to be talking to you, and I mentioned that episode of Decoded where you proved that Mary Weather Lewis of Lewis and Clark, who had always been assumed, killed himself. There's no way. And this sounds like no another way, one of these right. stories. Yeah, man, that you're, like, getting down to the bottom of this. And I'm, I'm really excited to read the book. And, yeah, I mean, that's, that was the strength of Lost History and Decoded, man. I mean, you know, we all teased you about you kind of, you know, doing your Rod Serling thing and sending your, your minions out to to do the to do the legwork but these are great stories and it's it's just fascinating and i'm glad you've uncovered this incredible story we all know about valley forge and you know binding you know no shoes they're binding their feet they're they're crossing the potomac in the in the freezing cold and all that stuff so i guess it makes sense that and also the the feeling of tories that's that we're still loyalists to the british empire that you know so it kind of makes sense that there obviously were people in the midst of the revolution that were you know working both sides of the street certainly benefit benedict arnold obviously yeah and then and that you know we we are a country that loves legends and myths Sure. And, you know, and that's what comic books are born on, right, is our love of them. <laughs> Absolutely. But what we love more than anything else are our own legends and myths. And we love to tell the story of this kind of ragtag group of soldiers, exactly what you said. We had no bullets, we had no shoes, and we just, you know, we all held hands and we got together and we defeated the greatest fighting force ever that ever existed, the British military. And that's a great story. But it's not the real story. It's not the true story. I mean, the true story was, is we weren't united in some amazing front. We actually, just like today, we hated each other. We had, you know, (laughs) Connecticut regiments who hated the Boston regiments, who hated the people from New York. And this one was wearing, you know, everyone was wearing different uniforms because there was no united army. Right. And how you spoke and how you carried yourself and what you wore you know, you were judged. And there's this great moment where at Harvard Yard, um, you know, the Connecticut Regiment rides in and a fist fight breaks out. And George Washington 
rides up on his horse and grabs the two guys fighting from the two regiments and kind of pulls them apart because he's physically bigger than everybody. And he's just like, you know, stop freaking fighting. And, and you're like, oh, my gosh, like we all love to tell the story that we were this great united group. But we weren't. We couldn't figure it out. We were trying to figure it out. And we were just as flawed as we are today. And, and when we did the first conspiracy, you know, we all know George Washington. We all know him from the money. We know him from the statues. We know him from the monuments. But we really know nothing about him. He's actually one of the most, like, hard to figure out people. We know nothing about his inner dialogue. We know nothing about his wants because he was just quiet in his letters, would never write his emotional feeling. He wasn't like Jefferson where he wrote what scared him or worried him. And he's really this kind of, you know, you don't, you think you, you know who he is, but you know nothing about him. And we really tried to pull him apart in the book. And what we were able to do is here's this moment where he's betrayed. Here's the moment where this guy is trying to hold all of it together and all these men together and this fighting force together and his closest men betray him. And that's the great part of the story is, and I didn't know this part either, George Washington um, at one point asked all of uh, his top military advisors, he asked every regiment, send me basically four, around four of your top military people. I want your top fighters. And he basically takes everyone best of the best, and he wants to build his own kind of private fighting force that will just be his personal guard. Like, to me, it's like the Red Guard when the Emperor in Star Wars, right? Like, just give me the best <laughs> of the best. And and I can't make that reference anywhere else, right? But, but it's true. And he, he, take, he winds up taking about 50 people, and he calls them. They call him Washington's private guard, his personal guard. He, they wind up really being called their, his lifeguard. That's what they call them, the lifeguards. Okay. And the lifeguards guard the money chest, they guard his documents, and most important, they guard him. And it's one of, and actually multiple of his lifeguards who actually turn on him. So you have this moment in history where George Washington finally figures out that the best of the best of us, that his closest, most confident, are the ones who turn on him. And you better believe, I don't care how strong you are, you are devastated that day. You are devastated. And we, of course, pull that moment apart, too. And you get to see it. And, and to me, what's the most interesting part about it is you see Washington's humanity and you see how we come together. You see um, this great moment where we're getting our butts kicked. The British, we're fighting the British in the Battle of Brooklyn. They're beating us terribly. We're outgeneraled. We're outfought. Washington doesn't have the experience of these generals from, you know, that the British have. And it's this moment where we're pinned, uh, you know, with the water against our backs, nowhere to run. And anyone else, especially today, would beat their chest and say, we're going to take out as many of them as we can. We're going to go out in a blaze of glory. But in that moment, George Washington does the best thing that George Washington always does is he adapts. He totally adapts. He says, you know what? We're not going to fight and all die here. What we're going to do is we're going to plan a daring escape. And he plans this escape on the East River and he has all these boats come in the middle of the night and, and he makes sure that all the soldiers are getting on board. But this now the ragtag group is watching this one thing happen, and that is George Washington won't get on board any of the boats, any of the ships, until all of his soldiers, even the lowest ranked, get on before him. And they see him say, oh, my gosh, he's, they see what he's doing. He's risking his own life for them. And to me, that's the moment where unity finally happens, where you have a leader who puts himself not first, but last. And again, we started this conversation talking about what's lost in the world today. Um, it's leaders like that. We have politicians today. We don't have leaders. Was there, and I know this isn't part of the book, but I wonder if you know this, when they were deciding who would be president, were there other people they were considering? I've never heard that. It always, again, the history books always seem to be, well, he led the, you know, the Continental Army, so obviously he's our choice and is, you know, such a leader and everything. Were there other guys? Yeah. Yeah, so one of my favorite parts that we found, um, and this is even, you know, forget about, you know, the, the presidency itself, but let's go back to where it is at that moment, and it's when he's even chosen to lead the Army. Okay. And this is just a crazy moment. Um, he... They're trying to figure out, um, the second colonel of Congress is trying to figure out who's going to lead us. Uh-huh. 
And the reason why they picked George Washington, one of the reasons they picked him, is because he's the only guy who wears an actual military uniform to the meeting. He's not a dummy. He's like, you know what? They're looking for the guy to lead the military. Why don't I wear the uniform? And everyone else is just, you know, they're just fancy and nice, whatever you wear. Um, and this time he decides to wear the uniform like his brother. He loves his brother so much, and his brother was a military guy, and he got into the military because he loved his brother's uniform and how he looked, and it just, you know, looked so put together. And I just love that all of history is almost decided in that moment because of what the guy decides to wear. And obviously, listen, it's not because it's not he's the most you know, well-spoken or the most outspoken. He's actually one of the quietest. Um, and, and even fact is so humble that when they finally go to say, you won, you're the guy we're picking, they can't find him. He disappeared. And you don't know where he is. I won't ruin the scene in the book, but you'll see where he is and what he's doing. And it's bananas because you're like, these moments are... You know, a vital part of our history, and we just don't even know them. But they're written there. You know, it's not like we we unearthed them or found something that no one had ever seen before. It's just that no one wants to read those old documents anymore. No one wants to read the old letters anymore because they don't want to read ye old this and ye old that. But they actually hold the the coolest little details you'll never see anywhere else. I know from the McCullough books that John Adams obviously was a great chronicler of what was going on in the Second Continental Congress and writing his letters to Abigail. And as you said, Jefferson would pour out his heart. Who were some of these other, were there other founding fathers that, you know, really, you know, where, where these letters came from and who, who wrote them? Do we, you know, who wrote these? Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, we found, we found the, the, the day-to-day of what happened in the trial actually came from a secret tribunal. You know, one of the big things that happened, um, when, you're, when the British are invading, and, and you have people switching sides, you know, and that's what was happening, right? They're, they're, they're no, you know, better or worse than we are today. Like, right. People love a winner, right? We still love a winner. And, and, the, and what was happening is, listen, we were a country that you know, we were, the, people came from England. A lot of them spoke with English accents. George Washington most likely spoke with an English accent. Of course. Accent. We don't sure. want to admit it, but that's, you know, that's where they all were from. <laughs> or at least that's what, you know, the, that was, that was the, the language they spoke back then, even if he was born here. And the amazing part is, is when that happened, and you have people going, well, British looking pretty strong, maybe I'll go on the British side. Oh, you know what? The Patriots looking strong. Now I'm going to go back to the, you know, the, the, the side of the Patriots. Sure. But one of the things that George Washington realizes is we're going to get screwed if we don't do this, if we don't take care of this. And so what he launches is an actual secret committee. It's called the Committee on Conspiracies. It's like the worst and best title of all time, right? The Committee on Conspiracies. <laughs> um, but it eventually winds up being run by John Jay, Okay, sure. Um, by, Livingston, First. by Livingston and also Governor Morris. These three guys just basically form what is the model for our counterintelligence agencies that exist today. And everyone thinks that today, you know, that the CIA is born out of the OSS. But what they're really, all of them, owe, owe a huge debt to is George Washington's Secret Committee on Conspiracies. They start tracking down this conspiracy. They're the ones who figure it out. They're the ones who hold the secret tribunal. And we were able to find the transcripts of that tribunal was a big part of it. Um, the other part of it were um, George Washington had a young aide who was writing about it, and he had a top general who was writing about it at the time. And, and at the time, no one knew what was happening. George Washington didn't want anybody to know. The only people who knew you were you were on the secret tribunal, which, you know, they weren't writing anything, or these people who were the top uh, military leaders and closest confidants of George Washington knew. And we, as we compared their letters, they were writing the same thing. So it was clear they had the same exact information. There were probably, you know, were, were 10 people in the room total, but we were able to track down 70 people in that room, and that was... We really configured all that. It was this giant old game of telephone, and and we were able to kind of really track it down to the first call. That's fantastic, John Jay, the first uh, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Nice. There you go. Yes, people know people. If you're a law school nerd, you know that John Jay is the first Supreme Court Justice. And and at the end, and and to be rewarded for all he's done during the Revolution, and for saving his ass, George Washington says to John Jay. You get the pick of any job you want. You got any job you want, you got, I'm, I'll make you whatever you want to be. You want to be the first Secretary of Treasury, whatever you want to be, you, you'll be it. And John Jay Wisely, the smart one of the bunch, says, I want to be a Supreme Court Justice. And, and I don't know if it was because it was a life appointment. I forget if it was even a life appointment back then. But 
he is a smart guy. He is no dummy, and he takes the best job. Um, and that's where we get our first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. See, I, I paid attention in that college class, man, because, yeah, that's uh, – No, again. that was good, but, but, that's what, <laughs> but that's what you see in the book. What you see in the book is, you know, we love to today look at whether it's looking at, you know, Russia is trying to infiltrate the country or yep. China is trying to infiltrate our elections or, you know, pick any, any one of our enemies. We're trying to do so many things behind our backs. But sadly, it's, it's nothing new. Yeah. The, the, the saddest part, though, is George Washington learned the lesson and immediately started fighting back. Um, that is what our current administration needs to do better at. Because when you, when, you, when, you, when you bring in leaders of Russia and call them your friends, and they're trying to completely infiltrate your country, um, you are forgetting the lessons that George Washington taught us in year one of this country. Um, and these lessons are vital. These problems have been happening for as long as this country exists. And when you read the first conspiracy, I mean, I wrote it like a thriller, um, and it reads like one because that's what was happening. I mean, and the whole world changes if they screw this one up. So that's the beautiful part is you get to see all of this together, and you quickly see that, you know, our problems today are, are in so many ways. Of course, they're different in, in, in many ways, but also they're exactly the same. I agree, and, I, and I'm hoping that this now brokered government with a Democratic Congress uh, will cause a little more balance or at least a little more debate about what should be a nonpartisan issue as you you know of foreign infiltration of our it doesn't yeah, listen, there are some, there are some things know. we should not i don't care what your politics are there are some things we shouldn't be fighting on and you can see it right now um it's the first time in two years that democrats are but even longer than that the democrats and republicans are agreeing on one thing um and you can see with saudi arabia you can see yep. that there's moments where you're like what wait 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 our, our, our loyalty needs to be to the safety of the United States, um, not to these uh, people who are running uh, and uh, dictatorships. Um, yeah. And we got to do better. Yeah, and we're selling guns to them, so we got to be nice to them. No, it's. Yeah. I, well, yeah, we're on the same page, Brad, and hopefully others in government will join us and, and we'll see a real change. And, and we'll, uh, you know, I'm shrugging. Obviously, we'll see what happens in January and beyond. But uh, on yeah. to light, lighter things. Seriously, man, really excited for this book. And, um, you know, yeah, this is, this is your milieu. And, and you always manage to find these amazing stories about our history, the lost history. I mean, that's, the title says it all in terms of your television series. And I'm really glad you're doing this book. It's very, very cool. So uh, let's, let's, uh, yeah. spend, let's some, spend some last couple minutes in talking about some other nerd shit. Uh, yeah, let's do it. I'm psyched for Aquaman. I'm sure you are. I'm psyched for uh, Into the Spider-Verse, the cartoon. Uh, Into the Spider-Verse. I, I, I'm going Friday. I cannot wait. It is. Um, <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm more excited for that than I am for Aquaman, truthfully. Um, and I can't wait to see how it changes, certainly comic covers, but even the interiors of comics. Because the one thing, you know, any of us who, who read comics, you know, these movie guys, you can see it in the preview, are just taking angles that, I know it sounds crazy, but in, in, you know, 75 years of comics, we just haven't considered. You see some of these Miles Morales upside down shots and you're just like, my God, I can't wait to see all the influence <laughs> it has on current creators today um, and what they put out for us. It's going to be awesome. I agree. I absolutely agree. Have you been watching? Do you have DC Universe? Have you been watching Titans? I do have it. Um, they gave it to me. I watched the beginning of Titans because Titans is the most important book I've ever read. Um, my whole life. I mean, Marv Wolfman, I saw Marv. He came to one of my book signings um, last year. Excellent. Um, had more influence on me than almost any writer uh, that's alive today. Um, and because Teen Titans, when it first started, was that story with Tara, uh, the Judas oh, contract, yeah. um, was a mystery. It was a thriller. That's Absolutely. what it was. It was, you know, it was, it was the, the heroes were in danger. They couldn't figure it out. They had to use detective work. To, I mean, that's all I've been ripping off to this day. Um, it was an influence <laughs> on me. So of course, and I, and I, I, so I only watched the first episode. I really dug it. Uh, you know, and of course it's, it's different and Starfire is different, but I, everything I saw, I really liked. Um, and I, I just watched last night. Um, we just finished, uh, the crossover for, uh, on the oh, w, sure. uh, can, I've only seen the first uh, part. Yeah. The Elseworlds, uh, CW crossover. Yeah. Still called WB, right? The, the, the CW, <laughs> uh, my Jack friend and Mark Bobby, Guggenheim, that's you know, yeah, on Jack and Bobby was Mark Guggenheim, and um, yeah, that's and, right. You know, so obviously, 
uh, we love the shows. My, my youngest loves, loves, loves the flash. And, and in fact, this summer I got to take him, um, as a present, I took my whole family. We were going on a, an Alaskan trip and, and you had to fly through Vancouver and, and Mark, God bless him when he was running arrow, when he was running legends of tomorrow, he always said to me, Oh, you got to come up here. You got to come see the set. You got to, and I, I was like, I'm never going to Vancouver. I'm never going to be there. And I saw that the flight <laughs> was going through Vancouver and I was like, you know what, let's go. And so we went to the set of legends. We went to arrow. We went to flash grant Gustin just was so friggin' nice to my kids. Like, which, you know, is, is at the end of the day for all the crap you can try and do and pull off. Um, there is nothing like finally getting your daughter to admit that maybe just maybe you might've pulled off a cool one. <laughs> and the thing, and the great part is, is when we went to the set of the flash, like we were just happy to like be in star labs and they're giving us all sure. this stuff and they're showing us around and my kids are running around, you know, trying to see if they have super speed and, and it's all great. And then they go, okay, now we're going to go watch the scene being filmed. And you don't know what you're going to get. You may just get like cop number two is walking out of central city police department. And that's what <laughs> you're going to get. It's okay. We're happy to be there no matter what you get. And we happen to go and it's Grant Gustin, the flash in costume, fighting a bad guy. Like that's the, that's the moment we're there for. And so they oh yell, you know, action. And, and I wind up, you know, having mutual friends with the director and, and the director yells cut and brings him over and he pulls off the flash helmet and comes over to my kids. And he's like, Hey, how are you guys doing? And, and my kids were just like, you know, my youngest just about died right there. Yeah. Um, and it was just, you know, couldn't be nice. The whole cast and, and their incredible crew up there just couldn't be nicer. And, uh, and obviously it was fun to, we just watched the episode that we saw them. Oh, that that's we saw right. them film. Oh, that's wonderful. Dude, I can relate because I was five years old and met Clayton Moore, the Lone Ranger, and he was in the outfit. Oh, yeah. And it's, as far as I'm concerned, I met the Lone Ranger. It was a superhero. And I'm sure that's one of the reasons why I still love this stuff. Because I, and I mean, about five years later, I get to meet Buster Crab, Flash Gordon, and Buck Rogers. Yeah. And, and yeah, man, it's like, oh my God, it's the guy. And especially Clayton Moore, he still had the voice, he had the look, he's wearing the mask. Hello, son. And you know it was it was right before they took the mask away from him and everything, and it was oh my god it was it was just thrilling. So I can imagine how your kids felt meeting the Flash. I love when he's got the uniform on and he's got the cowl like a hoodie behind his neck and That's everything. That's it. That was what he. Well, yeah. Now it's like this kind of helmet thing, and he and he pulled it <laughs> off and took the the hoodie down, and we were like, man, it can't get better than this. I mean, it just can't. And then the only thing that was actually really cool is my daughter actually. Still was, I mean, she was definitely impressed and liked it, but her big thing, the, the fourth stop we made is we went to the set of Riverdale, which is the one show she watches. Fantastic. And we go to, and we, we go to Riverdale and, you know, and, and I owe uh, Alex Segura forever for pulling that one off. And, um, and the thing that was so great about it is we go backstage and they say they can't meet the actors. They're in the middle of a scene and I see my daughter's just dying to meet um, Cole Sprouse, who plays Jughead. Okay. And they just feel bad for her because she's a teenage girl and she knows she wants to. So we go backstage. He winds up coming out and he's like, and I'm not, you can't make this stuff up. He comes up to me. He's like, Hey man, I used to work at a uh, meltdown comics in LA. Oh my God. And I realized I forgot. Someone told me he's a total comic nerd. He knows his comics. And so I'm like, Oh man, what are you reading now? We're comparing comic. And I'm like, and my daughter literally is like, it's the only time I've ever seen her starstruck. And she's like, and this frigging guy knows comics. How does he keep coming back to comics? And so it was it was great to pull off. <laughs> That's fantastic. You know, Noah told me to ask you about Vancouver, so this is good. I'm glad we're talking about this. That's I took, great. Yeah, I took Noah. I, the best part was is I took I took Noah Cutler. Um, and for those who read Identity Crisis, I named the calculator after my <laughs> my friend and one of my dearest friends on the planet, Noah Cutler. And the best part is, is to this day, if you Google him, if he goes on a date and, and any women who want to date him, he's available. Um, but if you if you Google him, he comes up as a supervillain, yes. which I love. And, <laughs> and, and that to me is the best thing when you're going on a first date and people are like, are you a supervillain? But we, I took him to the sets as well because he just was like, I want to go if you're going. And it was great because I was taking the calculator to the set of Arrow <laughs> where there was a calculator. And I'm just like, it, it was just like the snake eating its own tail. It just couldn't get better than that. That's outstanding. Absolutely, man. Too damn funny. 
That's amazing. I've only seen the first part of the Elseworlds. I loved it. I've just been busy this week. I had to catch up on Titans because I talked to Brian Hill, who's one of the Titan writers and right now one of the hot DC writers. He's uh, doing American Carnage. He's doing the Killmonger miniseries for Marvel. And, oh, great. Uh, I haven't read it yet. I want to read that. Really good stuff. He's great, man. And he did a great arc of Detective that basically is a backdoor pilot for a new Outsiders comic series, and that's starting uh, next year. Oh, yeah. Oh, is he doing the new Outsiders book that they're doing? Yep. yep. Oh, I saw – yeah, I saw the ad for it, and I was excited. I didn't see who it was. I'm going to read that. I'm excited for Yeah, that. the trade the, – the detective trade's out there, and it's a, it's a great story. He has a new Batman villain, and it's really good Black Lightning stuff, but all the other Outsiders pop up. And it's uh, yeah, it's it's good. No, it's uh, outsiders are in good hands. It's going to be a cool series and stuff. So I'm excited for that. I don't know. Is uh, any comic stuff brewing for you? Um, what do we do? What am I doing? I mean, basically, the I, I it's funny. I still consider our you know the I am books that I do with Chris Elliott. That's true. Those are comics yeah, yeah. in my head. They're they're comics. So I'm with you. I'm talking did. to I'm talking we, to Chris next week. Actually, go on. Oh, that's good. Oh yeah. So we're doing. Um, so we just did I Am Neil Armstrong and I Am Sonia Sotomayor. The next yes. one we do is in February. Um, we do I Am Billie Jean King in February. And I'm very right. excited for that to come out. Um, I'll let She's Chris, amazing. maybe by when you talk to Chris next week, maybe he can start trying to tease out who we're doing after that. It's a big one that we're really psyched to pull off. We're just trying to kind of finish the language on the contract. But it's a, it's a really crazy one. And Chris literally draws his soul in this one. So I'm really oh, excited cool. for that. We, well, I'm, ex- I'm we excited. We've got to finish all the licensing. I understand. I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk to him about Neil Armstrong, too, because you told me how much of a Neil fan he is and everything, and that was uh, like his... He's crazy. He's, a fr- he's so crazy. Like, as crazy as I am about comics, is as crazy as he is about NASA and space. Like, he I'm was drawing every, every rivet on every rocket. <laughs> um, so, comic, so comic uh, writing-wise, like, I still consider the IM books that we do for kids. Um, I still consider those, like, comic work, because I write them like a comic. I write in... in I literally will write... In um, I am Neil Armstrong, style? like you know, I want an Infantino effect here because I want to show an afterimage. Like, oh, that's all. all <laughs> the, the scripts are all comic <laughs> reference, you know, because Chris and I just—that's our language. Um, but in terms of what I'm reading, what am I reading right now that I like? Um, I saw I saw you give the shout out to Pearl or not Pearl uh, cover David Mack. Oh, and I Bendis. love cover. I Me love too, man. cover. Yeah, Ben Bendis and 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 Mac are just. You know, and I know Brian is, you know, beautifully launched and, you know, all the Jinx Ford titles and, and Pearl. And I think Scarlet has just brand new life in a beautiful way. Yep. And yep. same thing for uh, for uh, powers um, and United murder. States of murder. Yeah, I mean, yep. and, and yeah, I love all of those books. But, oh, yeah, you know, you got I have to say cover is just that one that it just feels like it's it's just a different level. It's just it's that book that's just getting to me. And I don't know if it's because it's the spy stuff in it and the comic stuff in it or the meta side of it that he can just, you know, only someone in comics can write like that. Um, but that's a beautiful book. I thought the end of Mr. Miracle was spectacular. Agreed. Um, uh, I'm trying to think what else has just really blown me away. I have now that all the best of year end lists are coming. I found a couple books that I want to kind of go back. I loved, um, uh, I've been, I finally got the third volume of Kaiju Max. I love that. Oh, that's, that's great. Absolutely, man. Very cool. I love that book. Um, I'm trying to think what else I've been reading that's just really knocked my ass. Um, I love Hawkman yeah. with uh, Brian Hitch. Oh and, yeah, with uh, Hitch. Robert Fendetti. Oh, Hitch killing. Hitch is killing that book. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a yeah. fun book. I forgot that book. Yeah, he. I just love seeing him do that book. He's pouring himself into that. One hundred percent, man. What else has been great? I like Tanahasi Coates, Captain America. I'm enjoying uh, his take on Captain America right now. You know what? I haven't even read it yet. I have to read it, and that's one that sadly, I don't know what it is about him, but I just felt like as a novelist, I wanted to read it. I I did affirmably want to read that in trade. So I just, I I fought myself on that. Sure. Um, I'm trying to think what else else are you reading that that I should, that I I might have missed or forgotten? Oh, Zdarsky's Marvel 2 and 1 was great. And I love the Darcy man. I yeah, love me too. The, yeah, I want to read that. I, it, that. There's fun stuff in there. There's definitely fun stuff in there. He's great. And I still and, love Sex Criminals. I think that book is still super oh, fun. Oh, 100%. 100%. And uh, Charles Soule wrapping up his run on Daredevil was really great, too. Yeah, I love Charles' stuff. I can't wait for um, for Kelly Sue to do Aquaman. I'm excited me too. for that. Me too. I'm yep. excited for that, and I'm excited for um, for uh uh, G. Willow Wilson's uh, Wonder Woman. I'm really excited for that too. Sure, I, I'm absolutely. like really psyched to see kind of like a, a brand new voice in that universe. I'm, I'm uh, that that I've been really looking forward to. 
I'm with you. That's that's very cool. Um, also, by the way, great job on uh, in depth on C-SPAN, and also, you know, it was great. It was on my birthday. And uh, I was working. Yeah, so on your birthday, there's nothing you want to do than watch me yammer for three hours. On Dude, I blew up. I blew off football to watch that, my friend. Absolutely, I my, did. Let me tell you something. My son did not blow off football to watch that. He's like, Dad, <laughs> no one's going to watch you because football's on. He was so pissed off. He's like, are you kidding? At one o'clock on a Sunday? No way, Dad. I'm not watching your ass. Um, so I think for his birthday, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure he gets a DVD. For listeners, you get it. Or a digital copy. C-SPAN has a great archive that literally goes back to, you know, whenever C-SPAN was founded. I mean, they've got everything up there. So if you yeah, can't no, just find put in my, it. If you just put in my name, it's actually already online. They, they, oh, good. I'm teasing, but the, the link is already up there. You can find it. It's a three-hour in-depth interview. It goes from all the fictional thrillers, how I got my start writing, goes to the I Am books with Chris Eliopoulos, goes to the first conspiracy, yeah. um, and does a ton of stuff from the Bush funeral to how I got to meet presidents who wrote me strange letters. Um, it's really the most in-depth thing I've ever done because, it's again, it's three hours nonstop, no commercials. Um, yeah, but you, even my wife was like, you know, that's a lot of Brad, she said. It is a lot of Brad. But you've got a ton of stories, man, and you were you were totally ready. You handled the calls great. It was it was. Oh, the best. The, the calls are the best. The calls are the best because you don't know what you're going to get. And, and yes. half the people that are watching <laughs> – are watching because oh they're like oh I, I like to tune in because you know I read your books or something like that but sure the other half or maybe other ninety percent of people are just like they just watch C-SPAN they don't give a yes. crap what's on it yes and those are the people who call in like <laughs> I would say ninety percent of our calls are like this new young author he's an interesting first person I have a question for him and that's when I'm like oh boy here we go because they just they don't care whether you know about the subject or not they want to ask you about it because you're on C-SPAN therefore you must know about it and it's fantastic as they don't. There's no screening. There's no, no. I don't get to go. Like I'm not taking that call. Like it's live. You're on the air. So I think my favorite part is that are all those calls that are coming in because they're just they run the whole gamut of like super insightful to total madness. Yes, and it was great because there were a lot of conspiracy theorists out there, and you honestly treated them with respect. You shared their enthusiasm. For the conspiracy, whether you agreed or not, and a lot of times you didn't, but you're like, no, I get it. It's a fascinating thing, and nobody knows what happened with the Pentagon airplane thing in 9/11. However, you know, it's like I, I was know, really but that's impressed. You know, right? Like I was like, I know the Pentagon airplane one. We <laughs> oh, don't that's know right. this one, like, and that's what I would say to them. I would say, like, listen, here's where we have the information. Here's where we don't. And and to me, that's the fun of doing this. Is that you know, you get to hear people's stories. You'll always get the best story if you just do that amazing thing and probably the perfect place to, for us to finish is like, let's just listen. Just listen. Yes. People will tell you amazing things if you just shut your mouth and listen. Well, that's what I tried to do it for these last 45 minutes. And as always, right, I, that's all I've been doing. That's all we do. Right. <laughs> is, 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 is. Although it sounds like me just saying, John, stop talking. But really it's just me who you should be saying it to. Not at all, Brad, as always, man, entertaining as hell. People should watch, uh, look for in-depth, Brad Meltzer from C-SPAN. It's online. First Conspiracy coming out in January, about a month from now, like January 19th, something like that? Yeah, yeah, coming out, uh, comes, or, well, yes, it comes out January 8th, so it should oh, be okay. actually coming, it should be coming, well, it should be out by the time you hear this, if we plan this right. Okay, that's that's your discretion of when this is released, and I, I am totally fine with that, that's okay, I, uh. No, as always, man, entertaining as hell, and thank you for always coming back and uh, wanting to. And then, like you say, every now and then you got to make a nerd reference, and this is the place to do it. So uh, you're always welcome back, my, my friend. Thanks, brother. That was great. That was hilarious. Okay. Um- Good old Brad Meltzer, if I can uh, lift and paraphrase uh, classic Charles Schultz description. But that's how I feel about him. As you heard, funny guy, great stories. Always catch him in the car as he's flying off to another signing or presentation. But very excited about uh, what's coming up for Brad and what's currently going on with Brad. First Conspiracy, again, out in bookstores now from our dear friend Brad Meltzer. I hope you enjoyed today's Word Balloon. It was brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. As always, League, thank you for your support. If you want to subscribe to Word Balloon again, you can go to patreon.com slash wordballoon or click on the Patreon ad at wordballoon.com. But uh, as you know, I'm uh, recovering uh, right now from an illness, and uh, I could use the help. So if you've ever considered uh, subscribing to Word Balloon, now would be a good time. But as always, uh, the hundreds of you that do subscribe to Word Balloon, thank you 
League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by Aftershock Comics, who are shaking things up now at your local comic shop and at their website, aftershockcomics.com. I've talked a lot about them. This is a great company run by really smart, savvy comic book people. Joe Pruitt, Mike Martz, uh, their tentacles uh, revolve around the comics world and uh, circle it a few times with their influence and the various uh, creators that they've collaborated with over the years. And they've brought a lot of them to help them out at Aftershock Comics. Our buddy Cullen Bunn has his first graphic novel with them. It's called Witchhammer. We talked about it last month. That book is still available. You got Frank Thierry. Uh, doing some amazing stuff for them, including Pestilence, which uh, suggests that the first zombie outbreak was considered to be the Black Plague. It's the same thing. How about that? Um, The first trade is out, and the next trade uh, comes out this month, and uh, you should consider uh, picking it up and uh, catch up on Pestilence, a great series. There is also uh, great works coming up from our buddies Phil Hester and Tim Seeley. You got great things like Animosity from Marguerite Bennett, um, you got uh, Baby Teeth with Donnie Cakes, books like uh, Jimmy's Bastards and A Walk, Walk Through Hell from Garth Ennis. Lots of tremendous uh, books from uh, names you know and names you trust in terms of telling great stories and drawing great stories. Um, really great stuff from uh, Aftershock Comics waiting for you. And again, it's 2019. It's a brand new year. It's a good time to maybe jump in on a new comic book series. And you're going to find fresh concepts, fresh ideas, and great storytelling in your Aftershock comic books. You don't have to take my word for it. Go to their website. You will find preview pages, story descriptions, and the diamond codes on how to order these stories through your local comic shop at aftershockcomics.com. Thanks again for listening to Word Balloon today. Um, I got my laptop back, so I'm up and running. I've got uh, several interviews that I recorded right before Christmas with the intent of releasing them before Christmas, but I got sick. But the good news is that I'm uh, well enough to be able to put these out. Thanks for listening to the Q&A episodes from the hospital. I really appreciated talking to the Word Balloon listeners and getting into some interesting subjects that uh, they suggested through their questions. Um, those are three really fun episodes, and they are now collected on both the Blog Talk radio feed and the Spreaker feed. So I hope you'll uh, go back and uh, check out what I've been doing while I've been in the hospital and look forward to some great new conversations right here at WordBalloon.com. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2019. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.